And our verse this morning is Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. And God's word says to us, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, which is another word for his covenant people Israel, so therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not what? Consumed. That's quite the word, huh? We're thankful for his faithfulness. I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. So we are more than halfway through our series called Beholding. And it's a series where we're examining and thinking about and trying to, trying to think deeply on those attributes of God. In particular, those attributes of God that are often called his incommunicable attributes, those attributes which he has chosen not to share with us, attributes which are unique to him and him alone. And I just want to ask this morning, I wonder how this study has been challenging you in your personal walk with the Lord. I hope it's been growing you much and encouraging you much in your walk with him. And I, and I hope as you're gathering in our growth groups, uh, week in and week out, that you're having great discussion about this and, and seeing how we tend to try and rival God. Uh, we tend to try and take these characteristics that are his and his alone and have them ourselves. So, for example, we've talked about the fact that God is self-sufficient. He doesn't need anyone or anything. But yet we often think we're self-sufficient and live and act and move in that way, don't we? Uh, there are so many ways that we try and rival God. So I hope this series has been doing a number of things. I hope it's been humbling you. Like we sang a few weeks back when we kicked off this series, Who Am I? I hope that's your response in thinking about the grandeur of God, the wonder of God, the majesty of God, the indescribable nature of God, that your response to that is, Who am I? I know nothing. I am nothing. God is everything, Right? I hope, I hope that's working in your heart that way. Uh, I hope also that not just is it humbling you, but I hope and I pray that it's expanding your mind and expanding your soul and your heart. And as, as, as we kind of set our minds on these things that in many ways are incomprehensible to us, uh, that it's, it's expanding your heart and filling your heart with joy and, and excitement and, and peace in, in ways perhaps you never thought. In fact, I, I would say to you that this, this study of the attributes of God is medicine for your soul. It's medicine for whatever ails you, uh, whatever struggles you're going through. Would you lose your anxiety? Would you overcome fear? Uh, would you quiet your grief and your sorrow? Would you, would you be more bold in sharing the gospel? And then you can think through all these different things, maybe, maybe just wanting to know God more, to feel his presence more deeply. How do those things happen? It happens as you behold your God. It happens as you immerse yourself in the immensity of who God is. And I hope that more than just changing our personal lives and helping us be humble and helping our hearts to soar, I hope it's also doing a great work in our church body at large. Remember, beholding is kind of that missing B of our discipleship pathway, believe, belong, become, build. Beholding is the glue that holds those things together. 
Beholding is actually more than that. Beholding is the fuel that drives believe, belong, become, build. We don't want to do that discipleship pathway without beholding uh, the glory of God. Listen to this quote. Like a towering oak tree, no church or movement can stand taller than the depths of its roots in knowledge of God's character. That's quite the thought. I'm going to say it again. Like a towering oak tree, no church or movement can stand taller than the depths of its roots in knowledge of God's attributes. So we talk about wanting to saturate Barry County with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and trying to make a difference that can't be ignored for the glory of God's name. How's that going to happen? As we dig our, deep, our roots deep in the knowledge of who God is, as he's revealed himself to us in the scriptures. Our roots must go deep, as deep as they possibly can, into the knowledge of God so that we can be that mighty, towering oak tree. And so, so far, we've considered the fact that uh, we need to behold his glory, that seeing is becoming. We talked about the fact that God is infinite. He is a God with no limits. And we talked about his aseity, everyone's favorite word, right? Aseity, uh, that God is self-sufficient. He's independent. He cannot be contained. And this morning, we're going to think about and talk about the immutability of God. Don't you love that word? The immutability of God, which, what does that mean? like it says on the screen, the unchanging God. Or he does not mutate, he does not adapt, he does not change. God is immutable, God is unchanging. We live in a world of change. The weather and the seasons change. What's the saying that goes around that the weather's bad, wait 15 minutes, there'll be something different, right? That was definitely true in the UP. It could be uh, super snowy and nasty and blizzardy and Five minutes later, the sun's shining. It's like, what just happened? So, so the, weather, the weather changes. Uh, the moon waxes and wanes. The planets change their positions in the sky. Fashion changes, right? Uh, popular music changes. Hairstyle changes. All of us right now in this room are changing. Some of us are, are growing stronger. Uh, some of us are growing weaker. Uh, some of us are maybe have more gray hair than we like, uh, and more wrinkles than we like, uh, those, those kind of things. We're all changing. Governments change. Nations change. They come and go. Morality is sadly changing. Uh, what not too long ago would have been frowned upon is celebrated uh, in today's society. So morality is constantly changing and fluctuating, not, not with God, but certainly in a cultural sense. So change is our reality. There is nothing in creation that doesn't change. Everything in creation changes. It's mutable, subject to change, but not God. God is perpetually the same. God does not change. That's what our verse says, right? I, the Lord, do not change. God is immutable. He never changes, and he cannot change. What God is today, he always was, and he always will be. Uh, So we're going to dive into this, and if you have your bulletin, hopefully in there, there's an outline, and we're going to talk about the immutability of God explained. That's a fun word to try and say 10 times really fast. Immutability, immutability. The immutability of God explained. Then we're going to think about a challenge uh, that comes to it, that we're going to think about as application. 
So when we think about the immutability of God, uh, we think of it in four ways. We think of it regarding his person, his perfections, his purposes, and his promises. And so thinking of his person or his essence, uh, we start there. Immutability is very closely related to God's aseity. As we said last week, God owes his existence to no one else. God is self-sufficient. God cannot not be. He is not becoming. He is being with a capital B. Thus, God does not evolve. God is not growing or improving. He can't. He's perfect. Remember the burning bush and how God speaks out of the burning bush and he says, I am who I am. Not I was this, I'm becoming this, or I am this and I will be that. I am who I am. Unchanging. I am. Immutability is also closely related to God's eternality. In saying that God is eternal, we mean that God always has and always will exist. He was preceded by nothing and shall be succeeded by nothing. He has no beginning, no end. He did not suddenly pop into existence. He has always existed. He's not young. He's not old. He is. Think of Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27. There the psalmist writes about God. Of old, you laid the foundations of the earth, the heavens are the work of your hands. The heavens will perish, but you will remain. The heavens will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. Now hear this, Psalm 102, verse 27. You are the same. Your years have no end. So God is consistently the same. He is the being who eternally is, who never changes. Think of also of James 1.17. In James 1.17, uh, we read in the scriptures that every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no what? No variation or shadow of change. That's James 1.17. Our Father in heaven has no variation and no shadow due to change. What God is, he always is. All that God is today, he always was and he always will be. God never increases or decreases. God is incapable of development. God cannot change because change is always what? It's always either for the better or for the worse. God is perfect. He cannot change. God has no potential. So don't feel bad for God in that being said about him, that he has no potential. He has no potential because he is perfect. He has nowhere to improve. Again, he is. I am who I am. Theologians call this pure actuality. God is pure actuality, and that's a fascinating subject to study, and I would encourage you to do that. God is unchanging in his person. The God we worship today is the same God who created everything in the beginning. It's the same God who spoke to Adam and Eve. It's the same God of Noah and Abraham and the patriarchs. He's the God of Elijah and the prophets. He's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's the God and Father of all his people through the last 2,000 years. Nothing God has said about himself will ever be modified or rescinded 
God is unchanging in his person. He is also unchanging in his perfections, which is to say his attributes. His attributes are perfect. His attributes are his perfections. Whatever the perfections of God were before he called the world into existence, uh, they are exactly the same at this very moment. God does not gain new attributes, nor does he lose the attributes that he has. His attributes are perfect. Was God powerful? Was he mighty when he created the heavens and the earth simply by speaking? Was God uh, powerful when he, he threw the stars up into the sky? Again, simply by speaking. Was he all-powerful when he separated the sky from the earth and the sea from the dry land? Did, did he grow weary when he did any of this? Did he need to stop and take a break? Did, did he need a fitness trainer to come alongside him and keep him in shape? Uh, did he need to change his diet because of anything like that, because he was weary what God was in the beginning, he is now and ever shall be. Was God wise when he created the universe, the sun, and uh, thinking about the size of the sun and the size of the earth and the distance of the earth from the sun? Was he wise when he did that? Was he, was he wise when he determined, again, the size of the earth or the axis upon which the earth spins and the speed at which the earth spins? Was he wise? He was. He was wise. Did he need counsel? Did he need knowledge to do that? He did not. As God was in the beginning, he is now and ever shall be. Was God just and holy when Adam and Eve rebelled? Was God just and holy while waiting at the time of Noah for 120 years? Was, was God just as he considered Sodom and Gomorrah? Was, was God just with his dealings with Pharaoh and Egypt? Was God just in his dealing with Israel in, in the many years of their sojourning and then in the land uh, which they conquered? Was God just when his perfect sinless son hung upon the cross, when his son was made sin, who knew no sin? As God was in the beginning, he is now and forever shall be. Or how about this? Was God good when Adam and Eve rebelled against him and he clothed them? in new clothing, in new skin? Was God good when he called Abraham to be the father of many nations? Was God good while he protected Israel in the midst of the plagues of Egypt? Was God good when he forgave David his, his murder and his lust? Was God good when he recommissioned Peter? Was God good in showing mercy to Paul, who says of himself that he is the chief of sinners? As God was, so he shall forever be. Was God love when he devised salvation's plan? Was God love when he chose us from before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and to transform us in the image of Jesus Christ? Was God love even when he knew the salvation plan would come at great cost? Did he stop loving us because he knew the salvation plan would come at great cost? I rejoice in this truth You've heard it before, there is nothing you can do to make God love you less. And there is nothing you can do to make him love you more. His love is eternal. His love is unchanging. Eternally unchanging. As God was in the beginning, he is now and ever shall be.
I like Latin phrases, <clears throat> and there's a Latin phrase you can write next to every one of his attributes. It's the Latin phrase, semper item. S-E-M-P-E-R-I-D-E-M, not T, but I-D-E-M, semper item. What that means is always the same. Always the same. His knowledge, his power is never greater or less. His wisdom and holiness is never greater or less. The same with all of his attributes. Whatever perfection of God you can think of, you can say semper item, always the same. Always the same the same. That's true of his person. That's true of his, uh, <clears throat> his perfections. It is also true of his plans. Do you ever change your plans? Never, right? Only about every day, right? We change our plans constantly. Maybe, maybe we have plans to renovate our house, but uh, we didn't quite think through the expenses Maybe we had plans to go on a trip, but uh, the weather, we couldn't see what was coming, and the weather canceled it. Uh, lot, lots of reasons. We, we make plans, but they just, they just don't work out. They don't work out because we lack the wisdom, and we lack the power or ability to make it happen, but God never has to change his plans. Why? Because God is infinite in wisdom and infinite in knowledge. There's no error in oversight. He doesn't oversight something or overlook something. There are never unforeseen circumstances that, that he didn't see coming or that pressure him to take a different route. And, of course, God is infinite in power, so there's no frustration in accomplishing his purpose. And so we read lots of verses like these, uh, Psalms 33, 10 and 11, where God says, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people's. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. For those of you who like to watch the news 24-7, that is a wonderful verse to put over your screens. Psalm 33, verses 10 and 11, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing, but his counsel stands. That's hope, isn't it? <clears throat> or Job 42.2, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. God is unchanging in his plan, unchanging in his purpose. He's also unchanging in his promises. We sometimes say things that we don't mean or we sometimes say things and we're, we're unable to, to bring them about. Our words are unstable, but, but not with God. His word stands forever. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God, what? Will stand forever. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of God never fades. Psalm 119, verse 89, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. God will never take back something he said. He'll never backtrack or backpedal or need to meet with his counselors to tell him, well, how do we get around that one? Because I said this, but now I said this, and it contradicts, right? He doesn't have to do that. His words are perfect. He doesn't need to amend his statements. He doesn't need a fact checker. There, there's no loophole. There's no fine print. What he has spoken stands true forever. No revisions, no alterations. His every word is permanent. Therefore, think about this. His word is always relevant, it's always relevant, and it's always true. 
His word is never some ancient relic to be thrown away or to be lost or, or unconsidered. His word is eternally valid, eternally true. There's no decay in his word. You can build your life on the word of God. So that, in a nutshell, is his immutability. He's unchanging in his person. He is unchanging in his promises. He is unchanging in his plans, and he is unchanging in his perfections. So moving to the next point, the immutability of God challenged. I don't mean just the challenge of saying immutability. I mean objections that come up to his immutability. And maybe you're thinking of some of these verses. Verses that at first glance and first reading seem to say that, wait a second, God does change his mind, right? How about Genesis chapter 6, verse 6? Where we read, The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Exodus chapter 32, verse 14, where it says, The Lord relented from the disaster he had spoken of bringing on his people. Isn't that a change of mind? 1 Samuel 15, verse 11, where God says, I regret that I have made Saul king. Or how about Jonah, chapter 3, verse 10, where it says, God, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. They say, well, Pastor Andrew, wait a second, you just said God's plans never change, but there in several verses, and I could list a whole lot more, God says he relents. He said he was going to do something, and then he doesn't. Didn't he change? And on a side note, I don't know what translation you brought with you and that you're reading from this morning, but the King James Version, instead of using the word relent or regret, would always translate it repent, that God repented. I have nothing against the King James Version, but that's a very bad translation of that word. Uh, simply because when you hear the word repent, what do you think God did? He sinned and had to change his mind. God does not sin and God does not change his mind. Repent is a very bad way to translate that. Relent or regret is much better. But now, now listen to these verses. Numbers 23, verse 19, it says, God is not man that he should lie or son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Has he spoken, will he not fulfill it? Or 1 Samuel 15, 29, he just said in 1 Samuel 15, 11, I regret that I have made Saul king. And then 18 verses later, it says this, the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should ever have regret. And you go, what? Right? Are you catching that? 1 Samuel 15, 11, God says, I regret I've made Saul king. 1 Samuel 15, 29, 18 verses later, God says, I am not a man who will have regret. But you just said you have regret. Does that make you think? <clears throat> I think you can see the confusion. And maybe you're tempted to think, well, maybe God is fickle. Maybe God does, God does change his mind. Maybe he does go, go back on his word. And again, the answer to those things would be no. And what I want to suggest to you this morning is in thinking about those verses, that far from teaching that God changes his mind, every one of those verses emphatically teaches that God never changes his mind. 
How so? Well, I want you to notice and think about each one of those references, and again, there's a bunch more, but Genesis 6, 6, Exodus 32, 1 Samuel 15, Jonah 3, there's a consistent theme in every one of them. And that consistent theme is sin. In each one of those passages, uh, the people are turning away from God. They are sinning against God. What sin? Sin is change in the wrong direction. Sin is changing or going against what God has said to do. back? Are we alive? If you went for intermission, please hurry back. <clears throat> I think there is a sale back at Coffee and Connect, though, isn't there? <clears throat> okay, so these verses are, are not saying uh, that God has changed. Uh, what these verses are saying is that something in man has changed. They sinned against God. And so in order to be consistent with his attributes, God responds appropriately. So for example, as an unbeliever, what does scripture say is, is true about us as unbelievers, as those who are not believing in the Lord Jesus Christ? The scriptures teach that God has his wrath towards us, that we are his enemies. And yet when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and we recognize our sin and we confess that sin to him and we believe, we change, then God responds differently, doesn't he? He says, no longer are you under my wrath, you are under my love. No longer are you unjustified, but you are justified in my sight. He has not changed in his person or his promises or perfections, but we have changed, and he reacts in accordance with how he has revealed himself in the scriptures. The same is true when a believer acts sinfully. When we sin against God, that grieves God. That brings sorrow to God. But God has not changed in his person or his promises or his uh, many other attributes. He is consistent within himself, but we have changed. Think, think of it this way. The sun, which is shining right now, I think. The sun can either harden the wax, or I'm sorry, melt the wax or harden the clay, right? Right? So the sun uh, has this impact on us. The change is not in the sun, but the change is the object that the sun is shining on. So if the sun is shining on snow, it melts it, right? If the sun is shining on clay, it hardens it. The sun isn't changing. The objects are changing. 
Or think of it this way, when a person is riding their bike into the wind, you ever do that before? That's brutal. And you're riding the the bike into the wind, and then the person decides, I've had it with this, I'm going to ride with the wind at my back. So the person turns around, and the wind is now at their back. What changed, the wind or the person? The person. That's true with God in these examples. God doesn't change. We change. And God, in order to be consistent within himself, reacts accordingly. So let me say it this way. Scripture tells us that God is good and God is just and God is loving. So immutability simply means that when the circumstances in a situation call for his goodness and love and just and mercy, he's going to do those things. Listen to Jeremiah 18, verses 7 through 10. Jeremiah 18, verses 7 through 10 says, If at any time, says God, if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, they change, they turn from their evil, what does God say? I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do. And vice versa, if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build it and plant it, and that nation does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I intended to do it. You see? God God isn't saying, it doesn't matter what they do. I said I'm going to do this, and regardless of whether they repent or not, I'm I'm, I'm just going to destroy them. God doesn't say that, right? God treats them according to their repentance And God treats them according to their non-repentance. If I can say it simply, the unchangeability of God means that God always does what is right. That God is utterly consistent. So when the angels of heaven uh, who loved and served God and and blessed God, then, then God blessed them. But when some of those angels rebelled against him and tried to overthrow him, it was essential for his attitude to change towards them because that's consistent with how he has revealed himself. But that change is not a change in his person or his perfections or his purposes or promises. It's a change that is consistent with his purposes and promises and perfections. God isn't really changing. So ironically, the passages that speak of God changing are actually proof that God does not change. They are proof that God is always utterly consistent with how he has revealed himself in the scriptures. The only way those passages would teach that God changes is, again, if they repent and God says, well, I'm going to destroy you anyways. Or if they don't repent and God says, well, I'm going to bless you anyways. Then he's changing what he said, and God doesn't do that. So I say again, God's immutability is God's utter consistency. You can depend on God. He always acts in perfect harmony with his person, his perfections, his purposes, his promises. Your trust in God can be a confident trust because he does not change. And so the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. That's true. But if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. That's true. God is consistent. He consistently changes from your enemy to your friend when you obey the gospel. That's the wonder of God. And so as we think about its application and the immutability of God, there are a number of things we can say here. I'm going to... I have just three or four.
But the first thing about the immutability of God and its application to your life is this. Quite frankly, the immutability of God should terrify you. It should terrify you. It should terrify those who willfully disobey God's word and utterly disregard its truth and somehow are clinging to this hope that God's going to give them a pass. That somehow they can live as if God doesn't exist and do whatever they want to do, and be unrepentant, and that God's not going to do anything about it. They, they don't take God's wor- word seriously, and therefore make the fatal mistake of thinking God doesn't take his word seriously. When God does take his word very, very seriously, God does not lie. God has declared that all have sinned and fall short of his glory. He has declared that as sinners, uh, the wages of sin is death. And he has told us time and again that because of our sin, his wrath burns hot. His wrath is being revealed against all unrighteousness. He has warned that whoever rejects his son will not see life. God takes sin very seriously. God will not soften his position on sin. He will execute judgment upon sin, and that should terrify you. It should terrify you that God's wrath is coming. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living, and if I can say, immutable God. There is judgment to come. God has set that day in stone. It's an immutable truth. The God of justice is coming and he will settle all accounts. So the pressing question is, how can I escape the wrath of God? Because he's unchanging in his wrath. What hope do I have, right? And the answer is stunning. The answer is the unchanging God took on flesh. He entered our unchanging world. And he came with an unchanging plan and purpose to change you, to redeem you, to forgive you, to justify you, if you will believe in his son. The unchanging God sent his son into our ever-changing world with an unchanging power to save and change sinners like us and with an unchanging gospel. Don't try and change the gospel. We try and change it all the time, right? If I just do this, 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 God will be happy with me. That's not the gospel. The gospel is salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation is his work, not yours. If you will but freely receive it, he will redeem you. And he can do that and still be just because his son and his perfect death on the cross for our sins. I love it. An unchanging God with an unchanging gospel, with unchanging power that can change you forever. If you will repent, that is change from your wicked ways and believe in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the truth of God's immutability, it should terrify you. It should cause you to run to God himself, who is simultaneously, it's interesting to think about, isn't it? Wrathful towards you and loving towards you. And if you will receive his son, the wrath is propitiated, it's satisfied, and he is pleased in you. Run to Jesus and the unchanging gospel that is found in him.
On the flip side, the immutability of God should comfort you. And let's be honest, there isn't much in our world that's very comforting. There's much in our world that threatens to engulf us, to destroy us, and maybe your soul has been very weary and wave-tossed, battered and beaten, changed as fast-paced, as dizzying, as overwhelming. We don't know what will happen with our health or our wealth, but here is what we know. God doesn't change. What's our text say again? Malachi, Malachi 3.6. I, the Lord, do not change. So please hear this, there's no global pandemic, there's no economic downturn or political unrest or natural disaster or family emergency that will ever change that. God is constant. Everything around us is changing. God is not. You have changed a thousand times. God has not. You can boldly face the struggles of the day. You can boldly face the hardships of the day and the uncertainty of the day because God is unshaken and immovable and unchanging. Your friends may betray you. Your spouse may leave you. Your pastor may fail you. Everything may change. God does not. God's love is unchanging. His forgiveness is unchanging. His salvation is unchanging. His promises are unchanging. You might lose your job. A fire might wipe out everything. Your, your finances in, in an IRA or stocks or something might, might crash. Your whole life might be shaken, but there is one name, one place where change cannot touch, and that change is God. A heart that never alters. A God who does not have mood swings. A God who is constant, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't put your trust in money. That comes and goes, doesn't it? Don't put your trust in beauty. That comes and goes. Don't put your trust in health. Put your trust in God. Remember James 1.17 that says, Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So this morning, if you feel battered or torn or beaten or discouraged, remember God has not changed. He has not abandoned you. He remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. Trust in that God. Trust in his immutable person, his immutable purposes, his immutable ways. Trust in his many great promises, which are yes and amen in Christ. Trust in God, who's unmoved, unshaken, unchanging. There is your comfort. What do we do with that comfort, though? That comfort is meant to energize you. That comfort is meant to strengthen you, to serve God faithfully. We have so many amazing promises from God. And not that we'll always be healthy, but that we'll be rich, Not that the batteries in our battery pack will always work, right? We don't have promises like that. But we do have promises from God like this, that God will work all things together for our good. Promises that God will make all grace always abound, that God's grace will always be sufficient, that nothing can separate us from God's love, that God will never leave you nor forsake you, that God will supply all of your needs richly in Christ Jesus, that God will finish the work he starts in us. Those are promises that we have from God, rock-solid promises. We belong to him, we're secure in him, and those promises will never change. They're always and forever true. Now, why does God give us all those promises? 
You ever think about that? Why, why does God give us the many promises that he gives us? I'll tell you this, it's, it's not so that you'll be comfortable in this world. And you might think that contradicts everything I just said in the previous point, but let me flesh it out. God wants you to be so comfort, comfort, comfortable and comforted in him that you will dare to take any risk, any uncomfortable action in this world. That's what his comfort and his promises should do to you. You're so secure and safe in him who never changes that you dare to step out and do things you never thought you would do, not because you're comfortable here in this world, but you're comfortable where? Where it matters, in him. That's the point of, of these promises. That's the point of his, his unchanging nature. And I, I hope that kind of puts fire in your bones, like the psalmist who writes, the Lord is my help. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Don't you love that verse? The Lord is my help. I have nothing to fear. What can anyone do to me? As Christians, we serve this unchanging God, and that should help us to be confident in loving others and in fervently sharing the gospel and boldly proclaiming the truth and selflessly serving. It should help us take risks and to plan and to dream big. Why? Because we're backed by the unshakable, immovable, unchanging God. What do we have to fear? It's put fire in our bones. So maybe you're, you're paralyzed by fear or, or you're enchanted by safe insecurity or, or you love comfort, but God has given you these great and precious promises so you will act, so you will serve, so you will be faithful to him in, in ways maybe you never even thought or dreamed or imagined. And of course, lastly, the immutability of God should cause you to worship should so fill your heart with awe and wonder that's all you can do to stop yourself from bursting out in praise to this great unchanging God. I can't think of a better picture of the immutability of God than a rock. A rock is unchanging. A rock is steady and secure. And often in scripture, God is referred to as exactly that, right? A rock. 2 Samuel 22, verses 2 through 3. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. Can you say that this morning? The Lord is my rock. I will not be shaken. The Lord is my rock. I will worship him. The Lord is my rock. I will serve him with every fiber of my being. The Lord is my rock. I will run to him. I confess I've been living my life on all these unstable, inconstant realities in life. I've been trying to find stability in, in money or my job or my personality or my beauty. And I, I recognize this morning that those things, those are unstable, those are insecure. But God, he is my rock. And so I run to him. I run to him. I put my faith in him. I say with the Edward Mote, who expressed it so well in his hymn, when darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high 
and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On who? On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is what? Sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Are you building your life on the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? Is he your rock this morning? I'm going to invite the praise team to come up. We're going to sing about that and think about that. Our immutable God, our ever-faithful, unchanging, solid rock.